0: welcome to church 213 thanks for listening to our sermon series titled unseasonable fruit as we go through the fruits of the spirit and explore biblical examples of each one for us to study how god works in us through the spirit thanks for listening Hey, I'm glad you guys are here, um, and I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad you're here. We also want you to get home. So if you if you drive a black Ford Escape, your flashers are home, your flashers are on. So we're glad you're here, but we want you to get home. So if that's you, you may want to slip out and chat with our security team because Ubers aren't cheap out here in the woods. All right. Um, hey, I know that there's a lot going on, and I'm, I praise God for that. That means that we're healthy, we're a vibrant. And uh, we're a church that's actually on the move. Amen, amen. Yeah. So uh, be involved for sure. You know we can uh, we can set the table, but um, sheep make sheep. Shepherds don't necessarily make sheep. And so we want you guys to uh, we want you guys to take advantage of everything that God is doing through this ministry. And Pastor Dom is right. I'm not sure we'll see him very much over the next couple of weeks. We're all on standby. We're all on standby, so we're excited for them for sure. Hey, um, you know, this is football season, of course. You guys know that. Many TVs have this this feature called the picture-in-picture. You know what I'm saying? See, what you can do is you can watch one game, and then you can watch another game on a completely separate channel in the corner of the screen. Now, what you need to know is the picture-in-picture... Is not the main show. It's it's just another game to glance at when you have time. What we've been going through the last 10 weeks through this series, Unseasonal Fruit, has been really teaching us that God's work is to be in us and through us. The fruit of the Spirit. It's a study of God's work in us. And the fruit of the Spirit, what I want you to know, it is not a picture-in-picture experience. What I mean by that is this. This is not where Christians just receive spiritual information. It is not where Christians just hear spiritual truth and sing spiritual songs only to be cornered by the flesh which is taking up the main screen. Are y'all with me this morning? Some of you guys just lied to me. Are y'all with me this morning? Okay. we're, We're to be believers that walk in step with... Christ Jesus on the main screen of our lives. And we can we can keep the flesh in the little screen where you watch the games that really don't matter, that really have little impact on your life. I'll just I'll just stop pause right there because everybody's gotta have a team cheer for, to cheer for. Everybody's gotta have a team to cheer for. What I've been what I've been doing is laying the foundation over the past few weeks from Galatians 5 on how a believer can live a life (coughs) worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus. And that calling is moment by moment, day by day, week by week, and it's where we've been the last nine weeks, and it's where we're going to wrap up into today. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the same place we've been. You know it. if You've been here. Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. So let's stand together. Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. We're going to dig this out as we land our series, Unseasonal Fruit, a study of God's work in us. And I don't know about you, um, but God has worked in my heart through all of this. That's what He does. Praise God, He never stops working on us. Amen. Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you're going to be consumed by one another. Verse 16, I say then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. So that you don't do what you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, Jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Come on, church. Joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He goes on to say, The law is not against such things, to God be the glory. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What a beautiful peace of Scripture that promises us the things that we really need in life. This is the bread of life, church. So let us feast this morning. You guys can be seated. All about some feast. You know, we are, uh, we're landing on the last part of the fruit of the Spirit is (laughs) self-control. Doesn't the Lord have a sense of humor? Message prep, the week of Thanksgiving, no joke. I'm standing around the bar at my sister's house. All the food is there. And I'm putting things on my plate, and as clear as day, the Lord reminded my heart, you're about to preach on self-control. And so I'm like, well, at this point, I've already got this on my plate. So I've got to put it on my plate. But what we're going to learn today is exactly what is true biblical self-control and why in the world is it listed in the fruit of the Spirit. I've been reading Galatians 5. It's just two pages, two and a half pages in my Bible. It's, it's a beautiful Letter, but it's an intense rebuke if you read it in its context. It's an intense rebuke to the Christians located around the Mediterranean Sea, which was in the area of modern-day Turkey in the region called Galatia, Southern Turkey. There were pockets of Christians, Gentiles, that were that were growing in their faith, and, and, and the Apostle Paul was, was rescued. From, from legalism to and the law, and he was set apart to, to reach this, this new, this new uh, movement that would sustain us to where we are even today. And so he writes this letter to these people. He was making it clear how people, how believers are to live within the culture but act different than the culture in light of the freedom in Christ Jesus. It could be written to 2022. It still applies. See, the fruit of the Spirit, hopefully what we've seen if you've been here the last few weeks, is is it's visible evidence that you're saved. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that you are maturing toward Christ's likeness every day you know a tree by its fruit. What you're rooted in produces something in your life. And so that applied to the Galatians in this region and also applies to us. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you realize this, but somebody ought to be able to tell if Jesus is on the main screen of your life. Amen? You ought to be able to tell. I mean, maybe I'm just way out there. But I believe if Christ Jesus has gripped us, you ought to be able to tell. You know how something is alive? It's changing. It's changing. The fruit of the Spirit changes us it moves us from, from where we are now to a, to a small step to where we need to be in the Christ-likeness of the Lord Jesus. And so what we've done is, is we've tried to define um, the parts of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have your sermon guide, if you'll flip over, that's what I promised you that, that we would accomplish through the last 10 weeks is to give a, tanginal, a tangible definition of each fruit of the Spirit. Can somebody on this side just read what love is on the back of your sermon guide? Anybody, any takers? Debbie, thanks for volunteering. True love is the sacrifice for others for God's glory at the expense of personal comfort. At the expense of personal comfort. That is evidence that God is working in your life. Anybody here want to read what joy is? Okay. Love, joy, oh, and peace. You want anyone to volunteer? Despite tomorrow's unknowns. What uh, What is patience? Anybody on this side? Dean? Proven by outward composure. Isn't that the truth? It's the evidence that God is working in us. Love, joy, peace, patience. Anybody over here want to read what patience is? Oh, you just read it? Yeah, peace, patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Mindy? Harmony is what keeps us together. Goodness, anybody over here? Faithfulness. To admire the wonder of God. And last week, gentleness. One more. Anybody? Humble restraint for the glory of God. Man, and so guess where we're landing today? Self-control. What does what that actually look like when God works in your life? How, how does self-control work? What is the point? And I know what some of you are thinking. Oh my goodness, Pastor. I knew I shouldn't have had the extra gravy on my biscuit this morning. I can't believe we're talking about self-control. Well, Sermons on biblical self-control are not very popular. I mean, it's 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 possible some of you guys have never even heard a, a sermon on self-control because where it usually takes our mind is really a different place than where God wants to take us. For the reason that it's included right here in the fruit of the spirit, it's so much more than your waist size. It's always a matter of the heart, isn't it? And so Paul lists this as as the last part of through the Spirit because self-control, catch this, it makes it possible to live righteously with our natural desires, especially our sensual appetites, without having them overtake the opportunity for God to work in us. What I mean, in essence, God actively works in us in order to hold us back from ourselves. It's a work of God in us. So, what does self control mean? Well, in Galatians 5, the word is is translated temperance. It's a state of postponement, inner discipline, moderation. It's a legal term. It's it's where, in, in 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 the court of law, we get the word continuance, like in a trial. Continuances, they pause the resolution of a case. So, uh, you know, uh, a lawyer may ask the judge, can I have a continuance? Which means, can you you just put the brakes on this whole thing for a minute? And really, if you think about that, judges, they don't like to offer continuances because they want to get this done. They want to move on. They want to get somewhere. It's usually when the defendant's rights might otherwise be violated that a, that a court might grant a continuance request. What in the world does that mean for us? Well, Christians are to, are, are, should reduce the extremes of our flesh, meaning put it in a small box by God's strength. So the walk with the Lord is not taken from the main screen. That's the idea. A Christian has got to have self-control over the flesh and not the flesh having control over us. Amen? Paul, see, Paul's telling the Galatians, they have, you, you're going to have to be able to master the flesh if you're going to walk in the Spirit because the two are always pulling in the, the opposite direction. It's just clean, old-fashioned hate. Go dogs. That's what it is. But if you think about that in a biblical context, y'all write this down, it's on your sermon guide. What is true self-control? Pastor, how can you define that in the list of the other fruits of the Spirit? This is it. If you're a list person and you want to complete that list, true self-control is discipline over natural desires of the flesh so there is greater trust in God. It seems simple, doesn't it? Man, it is so hard. Why? Why is it? Why, 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 do we, why, do we, why do we have to discipline ourselves over the, the natural desires of the flesh for greater trust of God? Well, when you dig out the context, what we see is that self-control is so much more than eating too much turkey and dressing. Again, it's always a matter of the heart. What it comes down to is this, church. Do you trust that God is able to, To give you the inner strength to press pause on where the sin wants to take you. Do you believe God is able to press pause on the flesh to where sinful flesh wants to take you? And I'm going to tell you where your sinful flesh wants to take me and where it wants to take you. It wants to take us out. Out of what? Out of step with the living God. Those that stay in step with the spirit won't carry out the desires of the flesh. You see that connection? And I'm here to tell you this morning, I believe God is able, amen? God's work in us is able to keep the spirit of God and, and, and what he wants to do in our lives on the main screen. Go to Exodus 16. Take a hard left. This is where we're going to be for the remainder of the message. And, uh, and I'm simply going to read, the entire chapter. like, Oh my goodness, pastor. I believe there's value in reading large portions of the text together as a church body. I believe, I believe there's power there. Give you some time to get there. So Genesis, then Exodus. So it's the second book of the Old Testament. Exodus 16. Here's a little bit of background for you. The Israelites had just been slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. The people had cried out to God for help. He sent Moses as a deliverer to the people. After ten miraculous plagues, Proving that the God of the Bible was greater than any foreign God. Every plague related to a foreign God that they were worshiping. So God wipes all of those thoughts out of their mind. After all of that, Pharaoh decides to let them go. Then Pharaoh changes his mind. God splits the Red Sea so the Israelites could escape when certain death was swallowed up as they passed through the waters. Amen? What a symbol of God's redemption. Now the Israelites are on the way to the promised land, but we can't forget, these are people just like us. Very little has changed. We don't want to get caught up in the fact that, man, these were such different people and this no longer applies to us. People are people. And so we land right in in Exodus 16. Let's read together. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Y'all say entire. Everybody was, had something to say. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test to see whether or not they will follow my instructions on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in. It will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites this evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints against him. For who are we that you complain about us? Moses continued, The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you want in the morning. For he has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, The entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned toward the wilderness. And there, in a cloud, the Lord's glory appeared. Wow! So at evening. So the Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you'll eat meat, and in the morning you'll eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God." So at evening, quail came, low bird, covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there was fine flakes on the desert surface as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Never seen a day like this before. And Moses told them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. And when they measured it by two quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. Y'all with me, church? But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. When the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece, and all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he told them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake. Boil what you want to boil. And set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning, as Moses commanded and it didn't stink, and didn't have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any of it in the field. For six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will be none. Yet on the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they did not find any. And then the Lord said to Moses, How long Will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days' worth of bread. Amen? Each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. We'll stop right there. Now... If we're going to battle and stay in step and keep the work of God in our lives on the big screen, there's a few things that I think this entire chapter shows us. The first thing is this. A lack of self-control is natural. It's natural. If you look at verse 2, and we said it together, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses in the wilderness. The entire Israelite community. Community. that means the whole congregation that means everybody everybody was thinking about the desires of the flesh because the flesh is part of everybody God's getting there to do work in his people and so what does he do he intentionally removes them from the land of comfort and he puts them into a land of uncertainty And it's usually, what I've I've seen is usually in the land of unknowns that the flesh begins to want control, isn't it? The text says two and a half months in. They threw in the towel. Two and a half months, that's it. They threw it in. They lack self-discipline. It's universal in us. It's what I want us to see. We're quick to put on the flesh of the main screen when life gives us the plot twist. Tell me I'm wrong. You let life give you a a plot twist, you begin to grab on to the things of the flesh. See, we have a body and a soul. We're dualistic in nature. We have a material part. We have an immaterial part. They work in tandem. It makes you, you. It makes me. It's our temperament. You can't have one without the other. Our body... It's the material part. It's the tent. It's the dust. It's, it's the flesh. It's the blood. And it has five senses. I want you to hang with me. The five senses is God's gift to us so that we can relate to Him and we can experience Him and we can know Him. Amen? It's, it, it, it's touch. It's smell. It's sight. It's, it's what we hear. It's what we taste. They're necessary tools for us to respond to, and to understand Him in our immaterial part. Don't let this miss you. It's the vehicle. Y'all with me? It's the vehicle that we can praise the Lord. It's the vehicle that we can hear the goodness of God. We taste the goodness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We feel the goodness of God. We smell the goodness of God. We we understand that God is good. How? Through the vehicle of our senses. And so they're natural to us. They're a gift to us. Without our flesh, Nefesh Hayah, y'all remember that from back in January? Without our flesh, we couldn't live out the great commission of Genesis 2. Where God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. Rule and reign, walking in with me. How does that happen? It happens in our flesh. We need this thing. Because life has one purpose. To live out the glory of God to all creation. And without our flesh, we've got no vehicle for that to happen. But sin is a thief. Sin is a thief. It comes to steal, kill, and destroy us walking in step. Now we have to fight our flesh from warning to be in control. Y'all with me? Simply, clean, old-fashioned hate. It's a, it's, a, it's a war that's going on in us. And what Paul is doing is he's sounding the alarm because a lack of control, what, what does it do? It dulls our senses to the things of God. It leads us to a life, a life of selfishness. And the Israelites were living this out. In Exodus chapter 16. Y'all see it. They were were trapped. They didn't want self-discipline. They wanted dinner. It's been said there's no one wanting. There's no one more wanting than the one that only does what he wants. Let me go back to the definition. What is true self-control? Self-control. It's discipline over natural desires of the flesh so that there's a greater trust in God. See, evidence that God is working in your natural flesh is it, it means you're a self-controlled believer. Paul understood that. Moses understood that. They both understood the power of the flesh doesn't take over people immediately. It's a slow fade. It happens. One desire that you give over at a time. It happens a little at a time through a lack of self-control. As I was preparing this, I was thinking, how do I know know if a person is immature in most cases? What is a sign of immaturity? It's a lack of self-control. If you've ever raised a puppy, you understand that. They will destroy everything. If you've ever raised children... I say all the time, we're going to have something nice when we get these kids out of the house. (laughs) You can't spray it off or wipe it down. Don't buy it! I've got some great news. Even though the flesh is natural, the work of God will give us self-control so that we can mature in our work with God. It's natural, but it doesn't have to be in charge. Something else, hang on to this. God desires that we avoid living in the wilderness of self-gratification. It's there. Don't you live there. That's Exodus 16. That's that's where these people were right here. Look at verse verse 1 again. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month After they had left the land of Egypt, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If we had only died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. They wanted to be in the wilderness of self-gratification. Man, how sad is that? But don't judge them because, man, we find ourselves in this same place, don't we? Like Moses, you brought us out here to die? Thanks. Thanks a lot. I mean, consider this. They saw God hold back the waters of the Red Sea. They saw God dry up the land right before their eyes. They saw God cause the equipment of the Egyptian armies to fall apart mysteriously, to be covered up by the sea, and then drown their enemies in that same water. And now, only two and a half months later, they want to go back to their old life of slavery because they're convinced God's going to let them starve to death. I want you to see that. They wanted to put their security back on the pull of the flesh. They wanted to go back. And in that moment, they let the hunger in the stomach have more power than the hope of their God. May we never be that place, church. God brought them out, but they wanted to go back. Why? Because Egypt made them feel good. And they wanted to find their security by means of the flesh. They'd rather be a slave to the flesh than uncomfortable by the leading of the Spirit. God wants them out of that. God wants them out of that feel-good mentality. Why? So He can lead them day by day, step by step, just as Paul is teaching in Galatians 5, in step with the Spirit. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. Talking about God's grace. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Y'all say that day. That day. There is such important implications for that. The plan wasn't get all you can get. That's not the plan. What he's saying is, God will give you what you need for today. See, today demands dependency. And that's what God is after. Amen, church? We just want to, God just wants to, God wants us to love Him enough just to walk with Him today, that day. Because when, when today demands dependency, that's what will help us defeat the wilderness. A person who lacks self control is often described as a glutton. But remember, gluttony is more than just your waist size. It's more than just four helpings of banana pudding and lots of chicken and the ham. It's it's more than that. The idea of of glutton is, is careless spender, wasteful collector of resources, a loafer, hoarder of status symbols, Really what it is, it's excess of the flesh. It's warring in us. Man. I just need one more Christmas tree cake. One more little Debbie Christmas tree cake in my life. Y'all pray for me because I'm like one a night with some milk. It's it's coming on me fast. It's excess of the flesh. Y'all write this down. A lack of self-control. I want you to catch this, while possibly morally acceptable, may not be spiritually helpful. I said I could, not I would. See, excess leads a person down a path that pulls the heart away from God because excess destroys discipline. God is telling the Israelites, hey, two and a half months in, I got you today. I know the desires of your flesh. I know what your flesh wants. I've put you in it. I've clothed you with it. But I've clothed you with the senses to help you to walk in me and to experience me and to live for me and to have a relationship with me, not to run off from me. So it's natural, but don't you let it control you because it will destroy discipline. Hey, I get it, hobbies are fun, but hours a day gaming is excessive. Watching football on Saturday with a wife is sweet, but five games in a row, that's not the romance she's looking for. That's not going to help you fill that love tank. Extracurricular activities, listen, consistently chosen to feed the needs of the flesh over activities that feed the soul is a slippery slope right into the lake of lukewarm faith it's a life that we're living together and our culture is pulling us see notice what the Bible doesn't say God doesn't say come on boys I've had you for 400 years y'all come on out here you've had it pretty rough so go out there and just pound it get all you can Stuff all the barns, stuff all your faces, stuff all your pockets. That's not what he says. He don't want him to eat so much you roll over like a pig. He didn't say let's celebrate and pack the wagons full. That wasn't the case in the wilderness. The need had a great purpose. It was him over hunger. And so he's like, I'm going to rain down me. I'm going to rain it down on you. See, the danger is this. The danger is when a person finds their security and their identity in the gift and not the giver. Because there's some things that we do that aren't necessarily bad, but the question is, why are we adding so many of these things into our life? The point is we live for the giver, not just the good gifts that he gives us. Proverbs 30 says this, <clears throat> and this is, a, this is a beautiful principle to pray over our lives. It says, keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Y'all see that? Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying who is the Lord. Or I might have nothing and still profaning the name of my God. What Solomon is saying is that day is the mentality that we should have. So, we have to guard our flesh against excess because what does it say? Excess leads to a dependency which erodes intimacy with God, which leads a person further in the wilderness. So, we have to be very careful. And so, I want you to ask yourself this question ask the Lord to show you what you're currently watering in your life that has no business growing. What are you watering? in your flesh that you know good and well has no business growing in your heart? That's an oh me question. It's a question that I've asked myself. See, if we're going to be self-controlled believers, you've got to know a couple things. You have to know that the desires of the flesh is natural. It's, It's where we live. If you're not in your body right now, you need to let somebody know quick. We have to avoid excess feeding of the flesh because it will wipe you out. It will put you in the wilderness and you'll begin to look around. You'll either begin to ignore the Lord or you'll begin to defame his name. And so what does God want for them? You guys write this down. It's the third handle for us. God desires that we see him as deliverer. That's really what he's after. For two and a half months, he takes the Israelites out of there to prove to them, hey, you can trust me. I'm right here. I've done all these things for you. I am your deliverer. See, for as long as we live in this physical life, our flesh remains the same. It never loses its sharp teeth. No matter how long we're saved, amen, those teeth are sharp. And it's only when God resurrects and transforms us and that our fallen body we'll be rid of the pull of the flesh, and then we will have a natural tendency to please the Lord in the resurrected state. When we get to heaven, we will still have the ability to choose our flesh, but because of our redeemed state, we will only choose our flesh to bring Him glory. Man, I long for that, right? I long for that. That's what Philippians tells us. Philippians 3. This is a good memory verse. It says this, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. What this is saying is in heaven, we will finally be able to win the war of our flesh and bring God the glory he deserves. See what verse 13 tells us. It says, So at evening, quail came, covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. God's providing for them. This happened. This, this isn't figurative language. Can you imagine waking up to the sound of doves, I mean of quail? I like dove too. I like to shoot things that I can put on the grill. Can you imagine the sound of quail just flying all over your property? The sound of those animals as evidence that God's providing for you day after day after day after day after day. Man, what comfort that is. It says that, that they would know in the evening that the Lord has delivered them which was seen in the quail. God had not intended to give them meat. But they complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So he gave it to them for one reason, not because of their complaint, their grumbling. He gave it to them to remind them that he alone can meet their greatest need. Don't you find security back there. I brought you out of that. Don't you go back there looking for security. I am alone able to give you what your desires of your flesh needs. Y'all with me? The, the reason he demanded obedience with no ex- excess is because God knew if they had all they wanted, they would begin to forget what those quail represented. Every good gift we have comes from the Father. The draws of our flesh, it comes from the Father. The, draw, the, the godly draws that we have, they're, they're, they're from him and they're for him. And the reason the fruit of the Spirit includes self-control is because the flesh never goes without Competing with Him is our deliverer. So we have to have something inside of us that helps us make that great divide. It is the work of God in us. And so if there are things in your home, you think about this. I'm getting in your business, okay? If there are things in your home or in your driveway or in your bank account or in your schedule that's bringing illegitimate security, It's time to have a family meeting. It's time to have a yard sale. It's time to reprioritize the checkbook and reevaluate why your family schedule is maxed out. Ask yourself the question why the excess? Where am I? What wilderness am I trying to go back to? Where's the Pharaoh in my life? Because the reality is, a lack of self-control, it's going to provide security temporarily. You know it's true. You'll feel satisfied for a little while. You'll feel sexy and attractive for a little while. You'll feel loved or you'll feel happy or you'll feel secure for a little while. Being a, a maxed out soccer mom, it's going to make you feel great for a little while. You'll be full in Egypt. When? For a little while. Y'all with me? You may say, Pastor, I feel like I'm just running around in the desert all the time. Ask yourself why. Are you willing to ask the hard questions? Why do I feel I need this whatever this is in my life to feel secure whatever it is in that blank don't go back to egypt ask the lord show you what you're currently watering in your life that has no business growing and i promise you he will you ask him to fill that blank in he will fill it in He didn't want you to live in the wilderness. And there are Christians I've seen that can't raise a hallelujah and weep over how good he's been on Sunday because there's no room in their heart to see the deliverer for who he really is. Why the excess? Why the excess? The question is, are these things good for your soul or are they good for the flesh? Who are you feeding? Because what you feed will grow and what you starve will die. You guys write this down. What's the deal with excess? Well, it begins to erode perspective by making us underdependent on Christ for peace and security. What is excess? It makes us underdependent on Christ for peace and security that day. Y'all with me? You look all throughout the New Testament. You see it. It talks about the camel going through the the eye of a needle. It talks about a rich man coming and talking about Jesus referring to barns. The idea is not necessarily having stuff. It's stuff having you. It's excess that we feel like our flesh has to have to find peace and security. That only takes us to the wilderness. It only takes us back to Pharaoh. And I want you to make no mistake. The enemy of God loves to busy up the flesh. Y'all with me? He loves to busy up the flesh and drive you back to the pots of meat so you can't receive the man and the quail that God has prepared for you. If we're going to be self-controlled believers, we've got to recognize what is natural. You have to avoid excessive feeding of the flesh. and You've got to know that He is the ultimate deliverer for those deepest desires. So that we can do this last thing. This is it. So we can worship him as provider. Exodus 16. That's the goal. He just wants our worship. That's it. Look at verse 14. When the layer of dew evaporated, there was fine flakes on the desert surface as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And Moses told them, It is the bread of the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may tee two quarts per individual according to the number of each person you have in this tent. So the Israelites did it and God met their needs no matter the size of their family because he's good. And he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. See, Moses was clear. It's okay to be in need for tomorrow. God can give you the security you need for today. Church, I'm, I'm saying there, there's, no, there's no need to live in excess to feel whole. That's what I'm saying. There's no need to continue to add to, to feel whole. More food, more toys, more activities for the kids. More, 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 more. For what? So that you can be comfortable and secure. Really, what, you, what that does, it takes you back to Egypt, doesn't You, you become fat and happy. Figuratively speaking. The need to need more in order to feel good about ourselves, even good things, y'all, it's a tricky, slippery slope for the soul. You know, If you're not careful, you'll, God, God is all you need to feel complete, not the flesh. The flesh is what we're, is what we're clothed in so that we can actually get there. You start, and I'm telling you, if you stop giving in to the pull of the flesh, you'll see your flesh becoming more free to worship. You won't feel so bound up. On Sunday mornings, or, or Monday mornings, or, or Wednesday nights. Because what is self-control is just pressing pause. When you press pause, biblically, he'll begin to point to him as provider. You'll be able to see everything that God's doing in your life when you begin to operate on self-control. Here's the interesting thing. What they do when God set down the quail and the manna? They try to take more of what they needed again. They tried to store it up again, over and over and over. They even tried to eat less than he told them to in order to save some for the next day. Does anybody have that great aunt that would go to the buffet and stuff stuff in her purse? Where does that come from? And what happened? They they struggled with him as provider and they couldn't worship him. I want you to pray this. Oh Lord, help us be masters over ourselves so we can be your servants. The self-control. Lord, help me to control the natural desires that you've given me so that I can worship you and I can serve you. You realize... that the poorest, most dangerous places to live on the planet are having the greatest revivals. You realize there are third world missionaries being sent to America because we're now the fourth largest mission field. Why is that? No self-control. No discipline. Living in the excess. So we can't worship him for who he is because we don't need him. See, God alone is moving in those countries because he's their deliverer. Chuck's done mission work. He's been to Honduras. Man, there's a revival breaking out, isn't it? You know why? He got nothing. There's a hunger and a thirst to equip pastors. They're, 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 we're, we're sponsoring missionaries all over the world because there's a hunger and a thirst because there's nothing but worship. And God is drawing the hearts of those people. Look at verse 23 and 24, and we're about done. This really popped out to me. It says, so they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded. And it didn't stink, nor have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Here's what I want you to catch. Food is food. Flesh is flesh. It's how you use it that makes the difference. And what we see right here is those first six days, they used their flesh to live. But on that seventh day, they used their flesh to worship and they were satisfied. It was as God had intended See, God's not moving in Newton County any less than he is anywhere else in the world. It's just going unnoticed because we're lacking self-control. There is power in no. And we're quick as parents to say no. We're quick as employees to say no. We're quick as as people to say no. But we don't like to tell ourselves no. What has that gotten us? Missionaries from China. The Israelites wanted to go back to stop the feeling of insecurity, even though everything they ever needed was leading them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they wanted to go back to Egypt. So what does I want as a church family? I, I, I want us to be a body of mature and maturing believers because that is God's plan that we walk in spirit and truth walk in self-control is evidence that you're maturing and you're growing and you're changing because it's the it's the, it's the box that God is using to bring himself glory I want to end with this draw your mind to a fireplace draw your, draw your I want you to focus just a minute on not the decor but, but the actual fireplace Now, if you think about a fireplace, it has defined dimensions, doesn't it? I mean, that thing is boxed in. That place right there is, is the designated place for the fire to go. You're like, well, duh. That's why it's called a fireplace. Well, that's original. Who thought of that? What are we going to call this thing we put our fire in? Let's call it a fireplace. It has, it has those dimensions. But I want you to notice that that fireplace is a lot different than the fire flame. The fireplace is predictable. It's unchanging. It's fixed. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? And when you light the logs and you put that, put that flame in that space, that flame goes crazy. It goes up. It goes down. It goes out. It goes, it goes side to side. It's hot on every side but it's contained in that fireplace so it does what it's designed to do. It warms the house. Why? Because it's under the authority of the fireplace. The nature of the flame is useful because it's under control. That's a picture of the food of the spirit of self-control. That flame, it can't do everything it wants so it it does what it's made to do. Whew. And that is the food of the Spirit in our life. But I'm going to tell you, the minute you let one of those logs roll out down here, out of that fireplace, it'll burn the whole house down. And so what God wants for us is we have to box in our flesh. We have to box it in. Because when we box in our flesh, we begin to experience the hot flame of worship for the Lord and we begin to walk in step with the Spirit. Our security is found in Him. Our dependency is found in Him. And we will thrive in the wilderness of sin until we get home to heaven and we will never look back to the pots of Egypt again. So as we move into the Christmas season, We've got to be people of self-control. Now is a great time to evaluate what you put on your plate, what you put in your life, what you put on your schedule, and where that's actually moving you in your walk with the Lord. Hey, let's stand together. Hey, our praise team, they're, uh, they're going to make their way up here. I know I typically don't read an entire chapter, but I feel like this is important because I don't want you to miss being in step with the Spirit because your flesh is an uncontrolled master. Man, I would love for you this morning to be able to box that thing in. If you're living outside of the box, walking with the Spirit, you can simply ask the Lord this morning, God, forgive me for letting the flame of my natural desires run amuck in my life. And Lord, help me to box it in so I can stay in step with you. I say it often, this is where we fight our battles. There may be some of you this morning that are, that are in a wilderness. <clears throat> you just keep going back to that pot in the wilderness. You keep getting deeper and deeper in the wilderness. But you feel like this morning is the Lord is calling you out of that place to walk and newness of life. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus said, God, box me in because I'm on a fast track to Egypt and I need to be free this morning. Lord, you've been calling me. You've been working on me. I want you to take me, clean me, set me apart for your good purposes. I need to honor with you my life, Lord. Maybe today is the day of your salvation. Why would you wait? Why would, you, why would you hold on to the wilderness and hold on to Egypt for another day? Lay it at his feet. Walk in freedom. Maybe you say, hey, Pastor, I need to be baptized. I'm a believer. I've not been walking with him in obedience. I've never followed him as a symbol of death to life in those baptismal wires. I need to get that schedule. I need to do business with the living God this morning. What better place? That's why we're here, church. Amen. That's why we're here. So let's put a stake in the ground in the excess of our lives. Start walking in freedom. Man, I need it. I need it. We need it. Because we're only human. But we're redeemed by the blood of the land. Let's Let's pray together, church. Simply ask the Lord the next minute to prepare your heart for the Spirit to move and to work and to call you to a place of decision. We'll give a moment of silence just to let you do the work of the Lord. This might be the scariest thing you will ever do in your life. If you step into the fireplace of grace and forgiveness, I promise freedom will be found. I promise you, what you lay down, the Lord will cover and he will remember it no more. He will cast it as far as the east is from the west, bury it. You don't have to carry it any longer. The war that may be raging inside of you right now can finally be boxed in so you can walk in step with the Spirit. So ask the Lord to work and to move. I promise you, He will. He will convict and draw if, if you'll just respond to it. I promise He will. He is good. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a master who is serious about urgent dependency. Father, I simply want to say thank you for borrowed breath this morning, Lord. Every chance I have to to suck air, Lord, is a moment that I have to battle what you want in my life and what I want for my life. So, God, I pray that as a church family, we will meet a body of maturing believers proven by our self-control. God, you would help us to be self-controlled in our passions, our sensuality, Lord, that you had gifted us and you had given us to be in line with your word so that you can get the most glory from our lives. God, empty us of us so that we can experience you for all you were made us to be. God, you are so good to us, Lord. You never give up on us. God you shepherd us with a just hand but yet a loving hand and your kindness draws us to repentance so God this is a moment of gratitude that I simply say thank you for this morning for this moment for this time may your name be glorified God work in your people and draw out of us, us, so that we can be empty enough to be filled by you, Lord, walking and step with your spirit as we move into the last push of 2022, Lord. May we be people serious about knowing you and making you known. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say